Our sermon text this morning is from Matthew 4, verses 23 through 25. And that's on page 809 of the Black Pew Bible in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, please feel free to take that with you if you want. Jeff, Pastor Jeff, is going to be our preacher this morning. Uh, Jeff is a lay elder and an MC leader at our church. And, um, yeah. I will pray, read the passage, and then I'll invite Jeff on up. So if you'll stand with me if you're physically able. This is Matthew 4, starting in verse 23, and I'm reading from the ESV translation. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him through Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for revealing who you are, uh, what you're like. Who you're calling us to be through your word. God, I pray for Pastor Jeff right now that you'd be working um, through his words to us, that you would have, have already been using and moving uh, his spirit and his study and his preparation. Uh, God, I pray for our congregation that, um, like we read here in Jesus' ministry, that um, your fame would spread um, through our congregation, that that would spill out into our city, um, that we would see, even like this passage, um, people be set free, uh, people have their sins forgiven, people be healed. Um, God, would you move uh, in this community um, through your people? And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, 
Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. From that time, that's the transition. And so he finds four fishermen along the Sea of Galilee, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and he calls them to follow him, to be his first disciples. And so we come to our passage this morning, and we see Jesus, he sets off on his first public ministry tour. So look with me just to that first verse in our passage, Matthew 4, 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus goes throughout all of Galilee doing three things. He's teaching in the synagogues, or, or the assemblies of the Jews. He's preaching, or proclaiming, and he's healing. And we'll see him continue to do these three things throughout the, the, this next section of Matthew as he makes his way to the cross. And Matthew lets us in on the content of Jesus' teaching and preaching. And it's like, you know, Matthew is giving us, hey, this is Jesus' main point of his sermon, all right? And it's the gospel of the kingdom. It says that in Matthew 4.23. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, those are two words that we hear pretty often, right, here in Cars, gospel and kingdom. I mean, the, the name of this whole series is Our King, His Kingdom. But if you were, like, pressed to define each of those words, could you do it? Like, like how would you do it? We're going to unpack the word gospel here in a minute, but a simple definition of the kingdom that I've shared before is the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is king. And that's true, but we have to be careful not to limit you know, our understanding of the kingdom of God to a, a static place or a location or a destination. Simply put, the kingdom of God is about the active reign of God. So maybe in, in your minds as we're walking through Matthew uh, over the next... <coughs> months, I don't know, year, or however long it's going to be, uh, when you hear the word kingdom, it would be helpful in your mind to think of reign or rule, because the kingdom of God is about the good and active rule of Jesus over the world and in human hearts. And Matthew tells us in verse 23 that Jesus was proclaiming his reign in the world, and that reign was good news. And that is the main point for the sermon this morning, that the reign of Jesus is the good news we all need. The reign of Jesus is the good news we all need. So how? Why? Why is the reign of Jesus the good news we all need? Well, I've got two reasons that the reign of Jesus, two reasons from this passage, that the reign of Jesus is good news, and then three points of application. So let's jump into the reasons first, all right? So first reason, that the reign of Jesus is good news, is... One, the nature of the gospel. This is the, the first of four times Matthew will use the word we translate as gospel in his writing. The, the Greek word here in the original language is euangelion. Okay, euangelion. Today, the common rendering we have for gospel is good news. And essentially, that's what euangelion meant in first century Rome too, but they would have had a specific kind of good news in mind. I mean, since the word is like rarely used 
today outside of talking about Jesus. It, it can be easy for us in the 21st century to just assume that gospel is just a, a Bible word, right? But if we don't see how it was used in everyday language in the Greco-Roman world at the time of Jesus, we'll miss out on what the New Testament writers were conveying when they used the word to speak about Jesus. But euangelion in the first in first century Rome, it was an, an announcement of good news, typically concerning the emperor of Rome. You know, his, he's pretty special, right? His birthday, like his rise to power, they were occasions to be celebrated throughout the land, and the good news reports about those occasions and their corresponding festivals were euangelion. My friend Bill Victor writes that, this is the essential content of the euangelion in the Greco-Roman world, a historical event that introduces a new situation for the world. A historical event that introduces a new situation for the world. Now with that understanding in mind, look with me at how Mark begins his gospel. Okay, we're switching to you know, the next gospel in the New Testament. Look with me at Mark 1.1. 1, 1. The beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the euangelion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A Roman reader would have understood this euangelion, right? That Mark was announcing the coming of Jesus as an event that brings a radically new situation for humanity. And this situation is good news. It's like Mark is saying, you think that the emperor's rise to power is good news for the world? Let me tell you about the true king who's coming to the world. So back to our passage. Jesus had just called his first disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and now he's traveling around Galilee, teaching, preaching, and performing miraculous healings. He was proclaiming the euangelion of God's reign and showing what his good reign looks like through various healings. What Jesus is doing for the people of Galilee in that day and for us here today is he's giving a picture of what God's reign looks like. And it looks like a restoration of what was broken and lost when the first humans disobeyed God in the garden. It looks like a radically new situation for humanity. You remember the creation story from the first chapters of the Bible, right? Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see right from the beginning, this is a story about God, a being who has always existed and is the creator of everything. God is the only one who always does what's good and right and perfect, and that's why the Bible refers to him as holy. In the beginning, God created the universe and all it contains. He, he spoke, and the universe was filled with stars and planets, including the earth. And God made animals and plants for the earth that filled the seas and the dry land. And the masterpiece of his creation were the first humans. Adam and Eve. And God prepared a beautiful garden for those humans to live in. He made Adam and Eve in his own image to reflect him to the world. To rule over the rest of creation and to live in a perfect relationship with God. By God's design, all of creation was good, exactly as it was supposed to be. There wasn't any sickness or pain or death. 
God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. They enjoyed life in the best possible way, a life that's lived close with God, a life that's full and satisfying. But eventually, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. When they were tempted by Satan in the garden, they chose to live in their own ways instead of him, instead of his, and they chose to eat the fruit that God had instructed them not to touch. And the Bible calls this kind of rebellion sin. And because God is holy, sin can't remain in his presence. So he sent Adam and Eve out of the garden, away from him. No longer following God's ways, they were now subject to sickness and hardship and pain and eventually death. When Adam and Eve sinned, it brought brokenness into the world. And sin spread from Adam and Eve to their Children and from their children to their children and on and on through generations and generations. And even though the humans have been created in the image of God, everyone chose to rebel against God, acting out in selfishness and violence toward each other. If you've been a part of a missional community that's gone through a saturated story formed way, that should have sounded familiar to you. There's not a square inch in all of the universe that isn't affected by the brokenness of sin. And there's not a human in all the world who isn't affected either. Sin corrupts completely. I don't mean that every human is as evil as he or she can be. And part of God's grace in the world is his preserving influence in his image bearers to keep us from being the worst versions of ourselves all the time. But sin has corrupted us completely in that every aspect of our being is stained by sin. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. Our bodies break down. Disease and sickness afflict us all. Our minds betray us. Our hearts lead us to desire people and things prefer people and things more than God. We're spiritually dead in our sin. But Jesus came to reverse the curse. You see, even in the first human's rebellion against God, God continued to love and care for them. He even promised that one day one of their offspring would rescue humankind from sin. Look at what God said to Satan in the garden in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So how is the reign of Jesus good news? It's good news because it means a radically different situation for humanity. What was broken by sin in the garden is being restored through the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is the promised rescuer who's come to undo the curse of sin in the world and to bring freedom from the slavery to sin in human hearts. It's good news to the sick and the afflicted. It's good news to the hurting and broken. It's good news to the lost and hopeless. And that's all of us here this morning, whether we recognize it. So, it's the first reason the reign of Jesus is good news. It's, it's the very nature of gospel. Now, on to the second reason. The character of the king. At face value, 
Jesus being the king may not sound like good news to some of us here. It may not sound like good news to, you know, people in our community. It may not sound like good news to a lot of people in the world. And I think partly because what we have in mind when we think of earthly kings and rulers. When we speak about those in power, it's often in or with a negative connotation. Maybe not in every situation, but consistently throughout history, this is the way worldly power has worked. The higher you get, the further insulated and isolated you become. The closer you get to the top of the power system, the further you get from the masses, from the lowly and the hurting, the higher you climb, what may have started as a desire to do good to those placed in your charge becomes a desire to maintain power and control. And countless atrocities in human history have been committed in the name of holding on to power and control. So instead of welcoming people in, they're kept at arm's length. Instead of using their power to do good and affect change, evil kings and rulers have used and abused people to satisfy their selfish appetites. And so it's understandable then that Jesus being king may not sound like good news. It may not initially be met with enthusiasm and excitement. But that's not the way with Jesus. That's not the character of Jesus the king. Jesus isn't like any other king. He's the king of kings, and that's good news. I want you to look through our passage again, and, and as we read through it, pay close attention to what we can learn about the attitude and the character and the heart of Jesus, the king. I'm just going to start in Matthew 4, 23. And you went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Could you, could you catch some of it? And we see at the end of verse 23 there that he was healing every disease and every affliction. Now Matthew isn't saying that Jesus, like he didn't stop traveling throughout Galilee until literally every single person with a disease or affliction had been healed. He means that during his widespread travels through Galilee, he healed every sick and every afflicted person that he met. He didn't turn people away. Nothing was outside the scope of Jesus' healing authority and power. In verse 24, it says, They brought him all the sick, and he healed them. No sickness, no pain was too big or too small. He cared about them all. And in verse 25, we see great crowds followed him. Jesus was, he was wonderful and compelling, and people wanted to be around him. We don't just need any ordinary king. We need a king who is powerful enough to make right the broken and wrong things in the world. We need a, a caring and compassionate king who doesn't shrink back from people with the hardest and darkest of afflictions, whether a debilitating disease, 
or demon possession. A king who is tender-hearted even toward the little girl who scraped your knee or the little boy who has a splinter in his finger. Jesus is our kind and compassionate king who cares about it all. Of course, this is truly good news for us today. The reign of Jesus is good news because he didn't stay far off in a heavenly palace secluded from the pain in the world and the curse of sin. He doesn't keep us at arm's length. He came to the world. He put on our same flesh and He walked among us so that we could experience life under His good rule and reign the way He intended. Now, if this doesn't sound like good news to you this morning, and maybe because you don't perceive or understand your need for it. You may not understand the depth of your illness. The, the people in our passage who came to Jesus for healing, they knew they were sick. And if you know you're sick, and you haven't been able to heal yourself, and no man-made remedy has been able to make you better, then it's really good news when you hear about someone who has the power to heal every disease and every affliction. All of us here this morning, beyond any of our physical ailments and afflictions, all of us are spiritually sick and in need of the supernatural healing only Jesus can provide. Jesus is the only one with a remedy for the curse and the power of sin. And he comes to us not as a domineering king like, like an earthly king, but as a kind and compassionate king. That's who he is. And that's good news for us all. So those are two reasons from our passage that the reign of Jesus is good news for us all. Now, let's move on to a few points of application. And the first is, yield your allegiance to Jesus. Yield your allegiance to Jesus. So, some of you may be thinking, yeah, that whole kind and compassionate healer, that, that sounds great, but a king still requires allegiance, right? I don't like that part as much. Kevin mentioned this quote last week during a sermon on the passage that comes before this one in Matthew 4, and I think it applies to our passage this morning as well. It's from Tim Keller, and he writes, most people want Jesus as a consultant rather than a king. I think it's pretty normal. We'd like to hear some good advice about how to live our best lives now, but we don't really like to be told what to do. We like to make our own terms of surrender. We're okay yielding, you know, maybe like 50 or 70, maybe even 90% of our lives to Jesus so long as we get to keep control of that one particular part. We like to think that we can bargain with the king. Just give me this one thing, just this one thing that I really want, and I'll do whatever else you ask. But Jesus isn't a king to be bargained with. That's not what true surrender means. His message was one of repentance. We looked at this verse earlier, but look again at Matthew 4 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word for preach here in Matthew 4, 17 
is the same word that's used in our passage in Matthew, Matthew 4.23 for proclaim. So we see that the good news of the reign of Jesus was experienced through repentance. Mark records a similar statement in his gospel in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. See that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the invitation into the good news. Repent and believe. We've, we've mentioned this multiple times already, but repentance is... It, it, it speaks to a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change of life. Repentance is about turning from your allegiance to, to yourself, to sin, to Satan, and to trust and follow Jesus in, as King. Jesus begins his earthly ministry showing his power and authority over the effects of sin by healing all kinds of afflictions and sickness among the people. But Jesus didn't come to free us only from the effects of sin. He came to defeat and free us from sin itself. Jesus would end his earthly ministry showing his power and authority over sin itself by defeating it upon the cross. The, the physical healings that we have on display here in Matthew 4 were foreshadowing the complete and spiritual healing he would make possible by his death and resurrection in Matthew 27 and 28. We may not experience supernatural physical healing in this life, like we see recorded here, but we can experience supernatural spiritual healing as we repent and believe in the good news of Jesus. And so, friend, if you're here this morning and, and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, know that the invitation is here for you even now. Repent and believe the good news. Yield your allegiance to Jesus. It, it may seem like that's asking too much, you may feel like yielding to Jesus will be the end of life as you know it. The end of so many things that you enjoy and find significance in now. Maybe. But real life, real joy and happiness is only truly known and surrendered to King Jesus. And so I invite you even now where you are to call out to him. This is the God of whom it's written in Psalm 1611. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And if you're here this morning, this is probably most of you, and you do consider yourself a follower of Jesus, the invitation is going to sound really similar. Repent and believe the good news. Christian, Carr's family, in what areas of your life does Jesus not have your total allegiance? What's that one thing in your life that you want to hold on to control of? Repent and believe the good news. Cry out to Him. Plead with Him to take away your love for lesser things. Yield your allegiance to Jesus as King and experience true freedom and abundance. That's the first point of application. Yield your allegiance to Jesus. And the second is, 
Bring all your hurts and afflictions to Jesus. Bring them all. Earlier we considered the character of Jesus as a reason for his reign being good news. Jesus is the kind of king who doesn't condemn us for our hurts and afflictions. The one who invites us to come to him with them all. No hurt is too big for his shoulders to bear. And no affliction is too small for him to care about. Listen to these incredible and probably familiar verses from later in Matthew's Gospel. This is Matthew 11, 28-30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we were to, to make a list this morning of all of the hurts and the pains and the afflictions and burdens and illnesses represented just among our Karis family, just to, maybe even just among the people here in this room this morning, we would all be depressed. Some among us are fighting cancer today. Some of us are battling depression and anxiety. Some of us have despaired even of life itself. Some of us are dealing with debilitating disease. Some of us are trying to learn to live with chronic illness. Some of us have been betrayed by a close family member or friend. Some of us have had their family wrecked by abuse. Some of us are jobless. Some of us continue to struggle with addiction. Some of us are depleted by the demands of just everyday life raising a family. And some of us would, get ev- would give everything they own just to have a family. Some of us feel alone and unseen. Some of us feel not much at all. Hearts that are cold toward God and others. And some of us you get, the, you get the point. I mean, the list could go on. In all of these, Jesus invites us to come to him, to bring those things to him so that we can find rest for our souls. Now, it, it may seem obvious that we're to take those kinds of things to Jesus, but what about the things in comparison we don't feel like are that big of a deal, Right? Many of us believe there are some things that are too small to approach God with. Like, we're bothering him. I mean, he's God, right? Ruling the entire world. He doesn't have time to hear about my lost keys. My disappointment that I didn't make the team. Or the word on my finger that's really a nuisance. Or that test that I should have studied for. Or, you know, that I didn't get the part. Or my sick pet. Some things we deem too small to bother God with, like he expects us to take care of those things so that he has the time and energy to take care of the big things. But we're implored throughout the Gospels to approach God with childlike faith. Again, the glorious truth that we find in Matthew 4.23 is that he cares about every disease and every affliction among the people. Every disease, 
every sickness, every illness, and every affliction among the people, every hurt and every pain in your life. Bring it all to Jesus, all your hurts and all your afflictions and all your sickness and all your torments and all your shame and all your bonds and all your addiction and find comfort and rest and healing. And lastly, spread the fame of Jesus. Spread the fame of Jesus. I love how the ESV translates the beginning of verse 24. Look at that again with me. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. Some of the translations say, so the news about him spread throughout all Syria. Now, Syria was a, a Roman province that included the Syria of the Old Testament that we know of, but also all of Palestine except for Galilee. Matthew isn't intending us to understand all Syria here, literally, as in every single person residing in the Syrian province had heard about Jesus. What he's doing is he's conveying the widespread excitement about the ministry of Jesus that expanded far beyond the borders of his travels and far beyond the borders of Israel. So, here's my question. How? How did his fame spread far beyond the borders of his travels? How did the news about him spread? Was it KOMU Syria? Reporting about the ministry of Jesus on their 6 o'clock news program? Was it the Syrian Times newspaper? Was it everybody with a cell phone sharing pictures and videos on social media of Jesus preaching and healing? I don't think so. We're told in verse 25 that people were coming to him from Galilee, from the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And Jesus was healing those among them who were sick and had various afflictions. And then presumably, at some point in time, they went home. And they were so overwhelmed by what they saw and heard and experienced that they couldn't help themselves. They, they just told their family members and their neighbors and anyone who would listen. And so his fame spread throughout all Syria. And we have to keep in mind that all the people Jesus healed physically didn't repent and believe the good news. Matthew records in verse 25 that great crowds followed him, which is the same language that's used to describe the first disciples' response to Jesus that we heard about last week, right? In Matthew 4:20, immediately they, talking about Simon and Andrew, left their nets and followed him. In Matthew 4.22, immediately they, James and John, left their father, left the boat and their father and followed him. It's the same word there, following him, but in different contexts. And throughout the rest of the book of Matthew, we'll see these two groups, the disciples that follow Jesus with their whole lives, and then the crowds who follow Jesus sporadically and on the periphery. And like, just as a, a quick aside, the 
church has been guilty over the years of putting prerequisites on receiving and enjoying the benefits of the good womb and reign of God. But Jesus didn't care. It really struck me as I was just kind of mulling over this passage the last couple of weeks. Jesus didn't require belief in him for salvation in order for someone to benefit from his miraculous ability to heal them physically. We should be careful about putting up barriers to all people experiencing the common grace and goodness of God. Okay, the slide's over. So, not all of the crowd who experienced physical healing also experienced spiritual healing and salvation, but they did return to their homes and tell others about what Jesus had done for them. Brothers and sisters, how much more should we be doing the same? We who haven't just experienced healing to make us more comfortable in this life, but we who've experienced the grace of God and salvation for this life and eternity to come. How much more should we be spreading the fame of Jesus telling our family members and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors in the city what he's done in and for us. Christian, you have life and breath to spread the fame of Jesus. Cars, we exist as a church to worship and to spread the fame of Jesus. That sounds scary and daunting to you. You're in good company. If it's starting to get a little uncomfortable for you, and you just wish that I would be done, so that you can kind of you know, go along with your life unmoved and unchanged again after another Sunday morning, you're in good company. But let, me, let me refer you gently back to the first two points of application. There are a lot of us here this morning who need to repent of our half-hearted allegiance to Jesus. There are a lot of us here this morning, myself included, who need to repent of our silence and our apathy toward our unbelieving family members and friends and co-workers and neighbors. Many of us here need to repent of living and advancing our own fame instead of the fame of Jesus. And then, if you're afflicted with anxiety about getting into spiritual conversations and actually talking out loud about Jesus, bring all of those fears and afflictions to Jesus. Go to Him. Cry out to Him to give you a heart full of love for neighbor. Ask Him for opportunities and strength and courage and the words to say when the opportunities come. Pray for, by name, the people that God has already put in your life who are far from Him. Bring all of it to Jesus and see how He heals and changes you and then works in and through you in others' lives. Cars, the reign of Jesus is the good news we all need. It's good news to be experienced, and it's good news to be proclaimed and shared in and through our lives. Would you pray for me? Father, I pray 
even now, that your Holy Spirit will be at work in us, bringing conviction where conviction is needed, bringing encouragement and just your tender care where that's needed in our lives. God, we we're thankful for your word. We, we, we see it and we're cut in our hearts, cut to the heart because we just see the ways that our lives don't measure up. Ways that we're not fully allegiant to Jesus. And so help us even now. God, I pray that you would do a mighty work in this church family that would extend outside these walls into the community and into our neighborhoods. That we would see renewal and awakening. Now that we would see the fame of Jesus spread through all of Columbia and through Missouri through our country, and to the nations. God, do that kind of work here. Start that. We need you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.